Hello, this is Jim Wallace, and you're listening to a special edition of The Soul of a Nation, a podcast about how our faith should shape our politics and not the other way around. You can find Soul of a Nation on iTunes, Google Play, and on Sojo.net. For more news, resources, and reflections about our current public health crisis, visit Sojo.net slash coronavirus. Today, I feel very grateful and blessed to be speaking with Bishop Marianne Buddy about the moment when President Trump forcefully cleared out peaceful protesters for a photo op in front of St. John's Church, an image now seen around the country and around the world. As the Episcopal Bishop Washington, D.C., the nation has looked to her response to this event. This is a chance to have a conversation about an extraordinary event here in Washington, D.C. for the Episcopal Church, for Michael Curry, for Marion Buddy, for lay people, for priests, clergy, and for, most importantly, a whole lot of young people who were in the streets yesterday with us as we had a vigil of solidarity. So welcome, Marion Buddy, to the soul of a nation. We are excited to have you with us today. Thank you, Jim. It's an honor to be with you. So let's start, Marianne. Most of us are wrestling with this. How is your spirit these days in a week like Mm. you just had? How is your spirit? Thank you for starting with such a grounding question, Jim. And I confess to you that in a week like the one we've all experienced, my my spirit uh, kind of goes into the same space of, say, a... um, you know, you've raised children, you know, in those those early years of parenting when all you're doing is responding to what's needed in the moment and you tend to your spirit later. But while you're doing it, your spirit is just fine because you know you're exactly where you need to be. So I would say my spirit is fine because God is God and I'm surrounded by angels and archangels who are saying their prayers and holding us all up. But um, but I also haven't. It, <laughs> it hasn't been a time of um, of a lot of prayerful contemplation. It's been prayer and action, and um, <laughs> so I suspect my spirit will need some tending to in a different way later on. But for now, I'm I'm grateful grateful for beyond beyond words for the power of God alive and well in and in and among us all. So thanks. Well, people who know you will know that that contemplation uh, is going to come for you and hopefully for all of us. You, when this happened, the president holding a Bible aloft um, in front of St. John's Church after clearing out what was what was a peaceful protest and there was no violence, no nothing going on. And he and his forces came, walked across the park, strode across the park and stood in front of St. John's is lovely place that many of us know, and he held this Bible high in the air. Interesting, people pointed upside down, which kind of said it all. And he he just stood there for this photo op, and then brought people around him. So of course, you get called by everyone mm-hmm. uh, in the media. What do you think? What did you see? Uh, what was your response? And you had to figure it out right there at that moment with people just calling you. 
so what what was your first response? How'd you feel when you when that happened and all these people just called on you all at once for your response? Well, you know, let's 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 put the the let's take the camera and do a wide angle uh, perspective for a moment, just to con- just to consider all that the nation and has been through in the last you know intense few months. So I've been affected by all of that, as everyone else has, in terms of just being riveted um, by what uh, what's happening, uh, heartsick at the suffering and the growing level of unrest and uncertainty and outrage that has been our nation's narrative for um, for these many weeks. And so we were all kind of on edge anyway, and we were all I was trying to discern my way as a a faith leader in the midst of all of that. So that was just, so we were all kind of, I just want to say that I was already kind of poised at the edge of my seat. Um, And the first, um, the first calls in fact, didn't come from the media. They came from people around the diocese and around the wider church who wanted to make sure that I knew what was happening. And I was sitting uh, watching the, um, I don't typically watch television news, but my mother's living with me now. And so she and I watched the PBS NewsHour together when I'm home. And we were watching that. It wasn't being broadcast on PBS, but suddenly my phone, as you mentioned, just started lighting up with people texting and calling. But these were, again, these were friends and allies, but their their message to me was one of um, urgent, urgent uh, need for a response. So it wasn't the media. It was, it, I felt summoned by the church to do something. And someone whose counsel I take um, very seriously said, you have got to get in front of a camera tonight. And I thought, you know, he's right. Um, he's absolutely right. I have to, I have to do something to disassociate the church St. John's, all of us from what the president just did. And I, I didn't know what to do. So I, so I just, uh, so I reached out to a few people who, you know, people who know people, right? So that's how it started. I actually was goaded into action by the church and my own, and my own, obviously my own uh, outrage, but it was this sense of, we cannot let, the, we cannot let the, the night go by with this being the image from, from St. John's. Um, we, and, and so that's how it happened. Um, and it was all very reflective at the moment. Re- I mean, reactive at the moment. We just needed, we just needed to to draw a line in the sand and and say no. You know, people will they feel perfectly free as they should to, is to say, Bishop, you must do something. Uh, we're we you need to do something. And I have to say, you know, again, the context, context is everything. I like the rest of the nation, I've been riveted about, you know, I was riveted to, to Minneapolis. And, and you may recall that I'm from Minneapolis. So I have friends and, and, and people that you and I both know who, um, who are, are, are working so hard to keep the protest of just for justice engaged uh, um, and focused on, on the outrage of that, of, of George Floyd's death. And, and I, I've been so, I've been, I'd been, I'd been, I felt like I'd been going to school watching my colleagues as faith leaders stand alongside the protesters, right? So I was watching them. And as the protests began to make their way to um, Washington, 
two days before I had been down at St. John's because the, the night before the church was burned, there had been vandalism um, on the church grounds on the first night of big protest and the rector and the, the head, the, the, the senior priest and the um, senior lay person wanted me to know. So I went down to look at it and we were all very clear as we were all standing there on the, on the, on the you know, now famous courtyard. And we said, okay, from now on, we are going to be a station of hospitality and prayer and welcome and support for all of the protesters for as long as they're here. So we were already making those plans. The next night was the fire. And so that obviously created a, a lot of energy, was focused on St. John's. And, and we, we decided, okay, yeah, it's a bad thing the church was, you know, was subjected to that. It wasn't that serious. The fire was put out. You can replace a building. You can't bring a human life back from the dead. Let's keep our focus on the right things. We were back, we were planning, but back the next day, um, providing hospitality, keeping our eyes focused on on the protesters, the peaceful protesters and supporting them. And so that was the context in which all of that was happening. So the third day we had been there um, doing the same thing. I had gone home. So it was that wider picture, right, of all of that. And then for the president to, <laughs> and I learned afterwards, I mean, the first offense was the actual photo opportunity. It wasn't until later that I learned of what happened to get him there, right? Um, and I was still absorbing what he was saying in the Rose Garden, which was, you know, threatening military force against protesters across the country, right? And so, so that that's the you know, I, while while we are all rightfully offended by the misuse of the Bible, the misuse of of the church. It's the bigger picture, Jim, you know that, that the issue that we want to stay focused on. I was happy to be able to take the moment to speak to it, but if we stayed focused on anyway. So that's, that's how that happened. It, it's really helpful for all of us to hear the background to this, uh, that St. John's was already, because of where you are, you're right there. This is the epicenter of American political power. <laughs> and St. John's is right there on 16th and H. Uh, and, and you're sometimes inside the perimeter of the police and sometimes outside. But there you are trying to d decide how to be a, a place, a, a safe place, a, a sacred place, a serving place for all the protests going on. And, and that, by the way, we have other churches situated like around the Capitol who have a long history of that because a lot of the protests are actually closer to Capitol Hill, right, on the other side. Um, and so uh, St. John's hasn't, I mean, St. John's obviously is, you know, right there for, so there, there's some history for that too. Like we, we try to be that. No, no. And you're the bishop of the whole area. So you're, you're dealing with other churches and other places uh, trying also to respond. But St. John's is right there. And so you go down. And it sounds like when this happened, you got these calls. And it's almost like they're saying, Bishop, you have to respond. But they're kind of saying, we have to respond. We have to respond. It's this sense of the collective response is so, so profound. And a few of us have positions that are. Um, I often think of my role as the steward of the vision or the steward of the 
of the message. It, it doesn't always come from me. You know, it's not always mine to speak, but I have the privilege and the responsibility of, of curating and stewarding that space. And so um, every once in a while, and a, and, a, and a preaching, you know, an old preaching professor, Fred Craddock, you may remember, he used to say, he used to say, sometimes you speak, you, sometimes a preacher speaks uh, to the people and sometimes the preacher speaks for the people. This was a this was a speaking for the people. This was this was giving voice to what you know untold numbers of people were saying about um, not not our church, Mr. President, not our Bible. Um, this is not a tool of American uh, American military force. It is not a tool of white supremacy. We um, we draw the line. If Fred Craddock had been watching and listening to you this week, I think you would have felt what you did a good job of stewarding that message. You said the word outrage just now and the post, that was the main thing. The big headline was the bishop was outraged. So why'd you say that? And why were you outraged? Well, for all the reasons we described it, um, he, um, he took our, a sacred text and he held it up as a, and he stood in front of a church as if to clothe himself in spiritual authority, as if to say he, in his leadership, uh, is it was not only acting out of his civic authority, but also having been somehow uh, consecrated to do his to to lead as he feels he is to lead with spiritual authority, right? And we can, we'll leave this, the abuse of his civic authority to a, to another, you know, to another, to, for those who are politicians, right? That's not, that's not my lane. I mean, I am an American citizen and I have feelings about that, but my lane is spiritual and he grasped at those and um, with no sense of, of, with absolutely no sense that that was offensive. You know, I mean, I think he was genuinely surprised by the response and um, and genuinely, I mean, most of the criticism that has come our way has been, how dare you not welcome the president? How dare you assume that he was not praying when he, as he stood there? Um, and excuse me, but that was just not a praying posture. And I mean, I'm not, and, and someone said, well, are you, are you judging what's in his heart? And I said, I'm like, no, I'm not judging what's in his heart. I'm judging the, his actions, right? I mean, it was, that was the outrage. And um, that was the outrage. But the further outrage was what happened to enable that moment, right? And so holding a Bible that speaks of love of God, love of neighbor, of of nonviolence and of, of all people being treated in the uh, being created in the image of God and how justice is love um, love on a societal form and that we are called to uh, to do justice in this world all of those things right everything that you and I have spent our lives pouring over and he's holding it up after having cleared through aggressive means um, peaceful protesters so that he could walk across the park after he had um, unleashed this diatribe of military threat against our own people. Um, and so that juxtaposition was the source of the the outrage. Of course, you didn't welcome him because he, he didn't tell you he was coming. <laughs> he, he didn't call you as a courtesy call. The and- only reason that's, that's part of that, we, we're always warned when a president or a vice president comes into a church, right? And it's usually, it's for security purposes, right? It's not because 
being courteous. Sure. But so we just had no warning. But, you know, the other thing is, you know, if he had come to pray, if he had come to offer a word of consolation to those who are grieving, of resolve, to address the issues at the heart of what people are protesting for, even if he had called for calm, you know, in the face of the um, of the distracting and destructive violence that that takes away from the central message of the project. If he had done any of those things, yeah. we would have been we would have welcomed him with open arms. I would have been I would have stood by him to do that, right? But he did none of those things. And he didn't speak to us. And so it was it was a political stunt. You said on NPR, you said that so clearly. You said, no, you're you're being called upon by the press. Here's here's what you said. I thought it was very clear. You, you said the the president used violent means to be escorted across the park into the courtyard of the church. He held up his Bible after speaking an inflammatory, militarized approach to the wounds of the nation. Then you said he did not pray. He did not offer a word of bomb or condolence to those who are grieving. He did not seek to unify the country, but rather he used our symbols and our sacred space as a way to reinforce a message that is, and you call this, antithetical to everything that the person of Jesus, whom we follow, and the gospel text that we strive to emulate in our lives. That was very clear. I actually heard you say that. And I thought that was indeed, that wasn't a political rebuke or a partisan attack. It was saying, no, uh, the, you know, this is, the, 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 this is a sacred space and these are our sacred texts and, and they're, they're, they're being violated here. And yet the concern this week and beyond, and I think that the news cycle will move on, and that's a good thing. But, you know, as outrageous as that act might have been, it's not the most outrageous act, right? It's not the most important thing for us to be focusing on. And so part of the challenge for those of us who are given a moment, a moment of attention in a space like that, is to pivot as quickly as possible to the um, to the issues that are at stake right now and the people who need their voices to be heard and to shift the lens. And you and I were part of a, a vigil yesterday where we tried, we tried to do that. And the very act of, and the very act of bringing all of those microphones onto, into that space. Um, and of course we were denied access to the church, which complicated things, but even, it's it, it's it's it, it reminded me, Jim, that effort to try and amplify what we were speaking to. Um, it it reminded me of how challenging uh, this work is because, in some ways, it's always a, a discerning point like when to speak and when to be quiet so that others can speak, when to turn the cameras away from yourself toward the people that are truly uh, leading the way. Because many young people have no idea what the faith community stands for, and they, they've they long since given up caring, right? And so to say, no, actually, we're with you and we're for you, and we, we are going to marshal all of our energies so that your dreams can be realized um, in your lifetime, right? In fact, there was a moment when the press just surrounded us and surrounded you and wanted you to say your message again against Trump. They kept 
and you said, you said, take your, take your cameras over there, point your cameras at them, listen to them. What's your message? He said, ask them what their message is. We're here to support the message of these young protesters. And you were, and they kept wanting you to repeat what you'd said about this incident and what it meant about Trump. And you kept saying, no, no, what's going on here? This, I have, I have, Bishop, I have never in my life, ever in my life, seen as many white people out there and around the country show such a care and concern about America's original sin, about structural racial injustice, and about violent policing and killing of black bodies and lives. I, all over the place, there were these white allies, uh, black and white, Latino, everybody was there, mostly young, young, young people. And that was a message that we were trying to point people to yesterday. And then at the end of this sort of figuring out what's going on, there was this great moment where we just, okay, let's all be just silent for a moment here, turn toward the police in the White House. And uh, Bishop Esterly, Methodist Bishop, she said this lovely prayer with as loud as she could in the microphone that some people heard and some didn't. And then, but eventually all these people of no different faith and no faith at all, as you said, a lot of young people don't relate to religion at all. But in the end, we everyone sang Amazing Grace and everyone knew the words to that song. Very sweet moment in an air full of conflict and violence. So how do we make that pivot? That pivot to moral leadership on the crisis of white supremacy that, as you have said clearly, that white knee on a black neck in Minneapolis, the place you know and love, uh, every black parent saw their, their child, their sons and daughters on the ground and or themselves and very few white parents and white Christians uh, initially saw it that way, and yet that video has really begun to to change hearts and minds. and And that was in your place that you love in Minneapolis. How do we, Bishop, pivot to that? How do we, as church leaders like yourself, how do we really take that's not an incident, St. John's, but as you said so well, how do we take it right to that? Well, you know, I. Um... I I am a I have as much to learn about that pivot as anybody else, and all I can say is that that's the work to be done. Um, and as 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 several of our uh, clergy colleagues of color have said to us, you know, it's not as if um, white supremacy was invented yesterday, and it's not. You may have just come to a deeper appreciation this week, but this is what we've been dealing with for a long. All of those things that say, okay, take a deep breath. Uh, think about the work that has been done. Think about the things that need to be done right now that can be done because of the Kairos moment that we um, may be blessed with to really to push something forward, right? You get every once in a while, you get a window of time and space and serendipity and grace where you can actually push something forward. Is this one of those times? And if so, what's the issue? What are we going to work on? So that's one. Where can we go deeper? How can we um, how can we both educate ourselves and educate others so that we are wise in our responses as well as passionate? How can we, um, you know, how can we be faithful? As uh, my my leader, Presiding Bishop Michael Curry, says, you know, what is what is what is the sacrificial love that is required of us now? 
And so if we, you know, and, and, and who are, you know, this is not, this isn't work that any of us does, does alone. And so who are our allies and partners and, and teachers and, uh, and when are we teaching? I mean, all of those questions. So I think the commitment is to say, um, yeah, this got our attention and we would be remiss not to pay attention to this moment. But as, again, as my leader, Michael says, when the cameras are gone, the work goes on, right? Cameras leave, we go back to the, the, the work that is invisible. The country is engaged in a way that we have not seen, at least on this issue, in a long time. And I don't want to overstate it because we don't know where it's going yet, right? We don't know what next week will bring. We don't know how long this will last. But while we're in this moment, uh, let's pay attention and do what's um, and do the faithful and do the faithful things. Um, and your organization has been in the forefront of this and have got a lot of really smart and passionate people who can help put them things together. I've, you know, we, we are, we're doing this together. On the Today Show, you said it so well. We share in the grief and the outrage of life after life of African-Americans and people of color in this country being subjected to violence and death, often at the hands of those who are meant to keep them safe. We would long to be part of the renewal and the healing of the country. And indeed, the cameras offer on, you're the bishop of a, the Episcopal diocese. Uh, it's a very diverse diocese in, in this city. And, and so what is the role of the Episcopal church, which is predominantly a white denomination, but changing, working for justice and peace and the healing of a nation? What do we do when the cameras are off? Well, um, yeah, yeah, what do we do? We, um, we organize, we learn, we educate, we put ourselves, as Brian Stevens says, proximate to the people who are uh, bearing the brunt of the ills that we decry. Um, we work for change. I think you mentioned some of that in our, in our sort of pre-conversation. You know, there's, there's certain, um, you know, after protesting, you also work on changing laws. You work on replacing leaders who are not uh, worthy of the offices they hold. You, um, you, you learn the, the stories that predate the stories, right? Um, and so, um, and, and try to, um, not only do no harm, but uh, make a concerted effort toward the good. So I don't have I don't have a particular platform or 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 series of suggested steps yet. I mean that part that's not for me to say alone, but for us to determine together. Some of it is ongoing, and some of it may be new. But um, there's no substitute for the hard work of of social change, and and we get. You know, um, God willing, the the violence will pass, and we can begin to um, uh, and and we can begin to really uh, marshal energies. Um, but I, I I fear we have we have a summer ahead of us, and I um, I'm not I'm I, I can't see how how this is going to go. So right now I'm praying and um, and asking how to be present to this moment. When I saw this and heard this, and and uh, you and Presiding Bishop Michael Curry, dear friend of ours, both spoke out. And to have, uh, I would say, to have the right stewards at the right time was really a gift. 
to me and to all of us. And the way that you made all this so clear, and and again yesterday, that this is not about us and you and him and me and the specifically predominantly white churches who need to, you know, who need to listen in a way that I saw a lot of young white people listening yesterday. Um, my boys out there and just were all pumped up by the vigil and being there and being a part, part of all that. But I think then, as you said, the politicians are, are leaving to the voters too. Last night I saw this interview with the new mayor of Ferguson, a black woman who's been elected to Ferguson uh, to be the mayor. And she talked about her vision for inclusion, of being a good city, Ferguson, a good place to work and to live with your family for everybody here. You know, But that means changes in, in policy and police reforms. And uh, a young woman got asked last night in CNN protesters, she said, the reporter said, well, they've indicted now, they've, they've arrested the three of their officers now there's four uh, Minneapolis police who were involved in the murder of George Floyd. How long will you protest? And she looked back and said, until I feel safe, until I feel safe. So, but the stewards have to point the way and you've done that. And now I think we've got to talk about how we make, you know, prayer, uh, protest, um, action, policy. This is what we're leading to now. And I, I'd like to hear you from Minneapolis. Now, Ferguson became a place that changed all of us, right? Now, Minneapolis, a place that I also know and love. And Lieutenant Governor of Minnesota is Peggy Flanagan, a member of my family, really dear, close to us. You love that place. And what has it meant to you to be from Minneapolis? I mean, have it not? What does it mean to you to have to have been there and worked there and served there for so long, and to watch this happening in Minneapolis? Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know the I know the people, I know the streets, I know the I know the history a little bit about the you know the tensions, the racial tensions, the the yeah the political players. So um, all of that. So it's it's. Um, so it's deeply personal in that way. But as I said, I think the um, my, my son, my oldest son and his wife and infant have, have just recently moved back. They were among the first ones to, you know, they were, on, they were out on the streets the very first, very first night and have continued to be there. It's, um, I know the, anyway, so it, it's just, it's just deeply personal as, as it is here in Washington, right? You know, walking by. Um, people and places that you know, so that's um, that just makes it just makes it more real. Um, and it, uh, as I said, I've been deeply inspired by my colleagues who have who, who gave me a living example of what it looks like to be present um, and know. Um, yeah, so all of those things. A little bit about political issues there, um, but in the time we have left, Jim, I just want to I want to thank you for your leadership and and the things that you've done to keep uh, these issues alive and um, and to say that uh, you know whether it's here in Washington or if it's in Minneapolis or it's in Ferguson, I mean, this is a national moment now and uh, and, and and in some ways a global one. As a steward again, you you named it right. Uh, it became personal for you. <laughs> It's got to get personal for all of us and become a matter of faith. And you mentioned prayer. Indeed, I, I wonder if you'd be willing, a lot of clergy are listening 
on this, probably going to figure out what they want to say this weekend in their sermons and in, in response to all the events of the, of the week. Could you just, as a bishop, as a pastor, could you offer a prayer for us? Gracious and merciful God, through the wonders of technology, we are gathered in a community of listeners, fellow leaders of faith and searchers who are struggling and wanting to hear a word from you. And if we are, in fact, in the pulpit on Sunday, we pray for the wisdom and the inspiration to speak, to speak that word, because people are hungry, Lord. We know this. We ourselves are aching. We ourselves need to hear the word that may come forth from our lips. I pray for your inspiring power to guide and sustain all of us. I pray for the capacity to hold in abeyance, hold in one place of our of our prayer, all our own fears and concerns so that you might minister to them, so that we might be effective ministers to your people. And while none of us, Lord, feel worthy or adequate or prepared or equipped for this moment, here we are. And like the young boy who offered his loaves and few fish to Jesus to feed a multitude, we offer what we have, our souls and bodies, our desire to do right, our desire to be on the side of right, our desire to love and serve you and your people and to be faithful to this hour and use us, Lord, as you will for purposes beyond our understanding. Accept our failings and imperfect imperfections and even use them uh, to your glory. In gratitude for all those who are striving to be your faithful servants. I offer this prayer and hope that we will all live uh, to see a better day. Christ, I pray. Amen. I can feel a lot of amens around the country to that prayer. Thank you again, Bishop Marion Buddy, for joining us, a good steward of the gospel at the right place in the right time. Thanks so much. To hear more from Marianne, follow her on Twitter at MeBuddy. M-E-B-U-D-D-E at MeBuddy. For more Soul of the Nation updates, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and follow me on Twitter if you'd like at Jim Wallace. Blessings to all of you for the Soul of the Nation. <laughs>